y'all, every day I learn that y'all getting dumber and fucking dumber. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Daisy Rosario. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And on today's show, we are once again opening our mailbag. It is so full. Y'all always come through with the most incredible questions that also make me question humanity. So thanks. That's right. More red receipts because we have gotten a lot of emails. But first, uh, Rachel, I do have a confession. Oh. Yeah, I've got to admit something. I do say read receipts. <gasps> I only said it read the other day because I wanted to like honor Madison's memory. Oh my God! <laughs> read receipts of Ramesse! It's here, it's happening. <laughs> it's finally here! Wow, I have never been more excited. I. <laughs> <laughs> yes! I've never been happier in my entire life. I want to see the receipts. Later in the show today, we will once again be talking about Beyonce. No, we have not gotten the Beyonce podcast approved, but we love a coup. And that might be what's (laughs) happening on this podcast. (laughs) There will also be some incredibly delightful restocking videos on TikTok and why Lockheed Martin trended on Twitter recently. Yeah, that one is complicated. But first, we've got to talk about Nicki Minaj's alleged former assistant airing all the rapper's alleged dirty laundry and Nicki's response to the claims. We'll be getting into all that after a short break. And we're back on Instagram, the app that everyone currently hates. Earlier this week on August 1st, Instagram user KateMiller underscore seven started posting a series on their story claiming to be a recently fired assistant of none other than Nicki Minaj. Mm-hmm. They proceed to explain why they were fired. They say, allegedly, it was because Nikki accused them of fraud. And Kate Miller underscore seven was like, not on my watch. I'm going <laughs> to spill all the tea. So over the course of a mini, mini, mini slideshow Instagram story, they revealed a lot of information. So many accusations. So Kate accuses Nicki Minaj of paying to get her new single on the charts a little payola scheme. They accuse Nicki Minaj of owing the IRS $173 million since 2016. Million. They revealed that her new album supposedly is set to come out on August 23rd, which is less of a receipt and more of a teaser, but, you know, whatever, promo was promo. Mm -hmm. Kate also said that the Carters, obviously referring to Beyonce, Giselle knows Carter, and her husband. Mm-hmm. They said the Carters don't associate with you, you being Nicki Minaj, because of Kenneth. But that's not the only reason. Kenneth is Nicki Minaj's husband who has been convicted of sexual assault. 
They also say that Nikki fell out with Ariana Grande because of comments her husband Kenneth made about Frankie, who was Ariana Grande's brother. They say that Rihanna hasn't been able to stand Nicki Minaj since 2016. They say Nicki is paying barbs to parrot specific narratives. And they also say that Remy Ma spoke the truth. So we got a lot going on here. There's so much in there. There's so (laughs) much in there. I will say, I feel like Rihanna decided around 2016 that she couldn't stand a lot of people. So yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. That one both feels like it's probably true, but also not even that specific to Nicki. Yeah, she put out anti and was like, actually, I don't need to associate with any of you bitches. I'm just going to make my makeup. And you know what? We have to respect it. (laughs) I do. I do. But then this account, Kate Miller underscore seven, starts answering questions from followers who are basically asking, why are you telling us this? And also, do you not have an NDA? Are you not violating your NDA? And allegedly, Kate Miller says they're being advised by a lawyer who has experience in NDAs that none of what they're saying is going to violate it. This feels like bad legal advice. (laughs) I hope it is better legal advice than Barlow and Bear got for the unofficial Bridgerton (laughs) musical. But yeah, I mean, this Instagram account did say that like the NDA would be violated if they were showing like images of paperwork Mm -hmm. and stuff, but not just sharing their observations. So but I still don't know how true that is. So I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I've said that so many times on this show, but this just feels like bad legal advice. (laughs) The story goes on, and we can't get into any more of this alleged gossip because it is alleged and also because there's a lot and this show is 30 minutes long and we have other questions to get to. (laughs) I do want to just once again reiterate, though, alleged. Like, that's Mm -hmm. just how (laughs) this story is, like, alleged. So after these Insta stories are posted, Nicki Minaj, of course, has to respond. You know, she has to. She doesn't have anything better to do. She doesn't have millions of dollars or, like, a life that she could just spend not responding to Instagram gossip. No, she takes Instagram Live to defend herself, as she must. My assistant, y'all, they went and told everybody that it is true how $173 million to the IRS. And I hope that pay. <laughs> oh my God. So Nikki, throughout the course of this video, kind of goes in between fuck this noise, y'all are stupid for believing any of this, and also disproving specific claims, like pointing out how much money somebody would have to make to owe the IRS $173 million. You have to make a lot of money to owe the IRS that much. And Nikki makes money, but not that much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you look at celebrity debt lists, there aren't even a large number who have owed tens of millions of dollars to the IRS, let alone hundreds of millions. Like, I feel like that has to be some huge bill that went unpaid since 1940 and, like, accrued Mm -hmm. all of this interest. Like, it's the only way it kind of makes sense to me, but okay. Yes, yes. The only person who owes that much money to the government is Jeff Bezos, and we know he doesn't pay taxes. And that's legal. (laughs) (laughs) So Nikki goes on from saying no, I don't owe that much money to the IRS, to saying that there are fandoms out there colluding to take her down. She says there are people paying entire staffs just to end her career. This is the point in which I think she maybe should have stuck to disproving the IRS claim, because when she starts getting into the whole conspiracy theory is when I start to think, maybe Kate Miller and Score 7 is making some points. Perhaps. Allegedly. I mean, one of the things that Kate... Miller underscore seven said 
in general was that Remy Ma was right, which is a statement that you could make to me on any given day and I will probably agree with. So <laughs> I was already back and forth on this. I mean, yeah, some of it definitely sounds outlandish, but then, yeah, some of it sounds almost believable. And Nikki's reaction definitely did not help me to make it seem completely less believable. And I don't think we will ever actually find out how much of this is true or why this is happening or whether or not this is just a stunt PR campaign from the Nicki Minaj camp, which would be brilliant. And she's a great marketing genius. Yeah. Or is it just some genius Barb a little Nas X in training, taking it upon <laughs> themselves to generate some viral marketing. Who knows? I don't know. Oh my God, what if it is little Nas X, like just fully investing in his barbness, which again, if you don't know, like little Nas X has loved Nikki for a long mm-hmm. time and proudly identifies as a barb. Like, what if it's that? What if it's what if it's little Nas X? That would actually be the best turn of events. I hope that's what's happening, but I don't think we'll know because at this point, the original Kate Miller underscore seven Instagram account has been deleted, and it's been discovered that the photo that the account used is of a random woman who has no involvement with this, and also Cardi B is involved. I mean, I don't even know that Cardi was trying to be involved, but the fandoms showed up, and all of a sudden, it was like. Cardi B fans versus Barb's and Mm -hmm. the phrase she's 40 started trending and it was really an insult that was being lobbed back and forth, which also like people do not shrivel up and die at 40 guys. Like, let's just say that as a blanket statement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's A. (laughs) Yeah. B, Barty gang, why did you choose this time to get involved? There are better moments. (laughs) I appreciate a lot of what I see Barty gang get out there and do, but like this was one where I was like, It's okay, guys. You don't need to tap in. You just don't need to. (laughs) And I think that is a great place to leave it because I like us believing that Little Nas X is actually behind all of this. That feels like the best version of the story that could exist. (laughs) Yeah, that's the story in my mind and I'm sticking to Mm -hmm. it. All right. Next up, we have a question about none other than Queen Bee. Mm, That's right. As we said last episode, Beyonce's new album Renaissance came out last week. And she reminded us, of course, of why she is the greatest. I have a question for you. Please. Have you moved on from Break My Soul yet? Okay, not exactly. So I start playing Renaissance at the beginning of the album. And then when I get to Break My Soul, I just let it play on repeat (laughs) until my brain is ready to move on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I also realized that some of that is because of how much I love Big Frida. Like Uh. she can make anything fun. I mean, She once did an ad for a local lawyer in New Orleans that she made so catchy, I would have danced to it at a club. We got to bounce this out. Remix. Oh, he fight. He don't play. Anyway, including Frida on multiple albums now just further proves to me that Beyonce has fantastic taste. But Mm -hmm. not everyone was immediately caught up in the joy that Beyonce brings. Ms. Diane Warren was busy reading the songwriting credits. On Monday, August 1st, songwriter and musician Diane Warren tweeted, quote, How can there be 24 writers on a song? Rolling eyes emoji. Later, she followed up with, This isn't meant as shade. I'm just curious. Emoji feels shady to me. Rolling eye emoji, pretty much always shady. And while she did not name any names, people were quick to point out that she was talking about Beyonce and specifically Beyonce's track Alien Superstar. 
The track is full of samples from other artists, which is where all of those names and the writing credits come from. Music producer The Dream laid it out on Twitter. Basically, he was like, how does black culture have so many writers? Well, it started because we couldn't afford certain things starting out. So we started sampling and it became an art form, a major part of black culture, hip hop in America. Had that era not happened, who knows? You good? <laughs> I love a you good uh, directly from a working and very successful, mind you, music producer to Diane Warren. Diane responded, I didn't mean that as an attack or as disrespect. I didn't know this. Thank you for making me aware of it. No need to be mean about it. And you can't see what my hand just did, but it had a reaction to no need <laughs> to be mean about it. And I mean, I don't know, Rachel. I feel like the dream was perfectly polite. I feel like the dream was very polite as well. And okay, maybe Diane Warren like just forgot how sampling worked. I'm really not here to figure <laughs> out what Diane Warren knew when and how she felt about it and her motivations. But it is hard not to see her original question as intentionally shady mm -hmm. and not the innocent query that she pretended it to be when you remember that she is a hugely successful songwriter, okay? Mm. Like, I'm saying this to you now as, a, as an elder millennial. Like, <laughs> this woman owned the 90s. Like, she wrote everything from Unbreak My Heart, which oh. Tony Braxton put us in a chokehold with, uh -huh. to My Heart Will Go On, like the oh song from Titanic. Like, And those are just a couple of examples. I, I can name so many more songs that she wrote. So this is not somebody who's just like in passing or new to the music industry. She's worked with many, many black musicians and hugely successful acts in general, and particularly during the 90s. So if you scroll through her replies, like, you just see that she is, she's acting out, she's getting spicy. Oh, no. Yeah, it was, it was not great. It was not great. In the end, she finished by tweeting, okay, I meant no disrespect to Beyonce, who I've worked with and admire. I'm sorry for the misunderstanding. She worked with Beyonce and then decided to tweet this? I mean, and this is part of what I mean when I'm saying that, like, it's hard to not take it as something shady when it's like, no, this is somebody who is deeply in the music business. Like, they know how songwriting credit works. Yeah. I feel like I saw Diane Warren's name go by and I did not know who she was. And I was like, who is this lady getting aggy on the timeline? What is going on? And to find out that she wrote My Heart Will Go On is an absolute legend of a song. Ma'am, don't ruin your legacy with this. Exactly. I will say my most recent thought about Diane Warren before this Beyonce situation came up was that she was recently mentioned on an episode of RuPaul's All-Stars Drag Race 7 because she apparently wrote a song that one of the queens did as like their original song. And when it happened, I thought, that queen can afford Diane Warren? Like, that's, <laughs> that's wild to me. But, you know, do you, the Vivian. But Diane Warren wasn't the only one beefing with Beyonce. When Renaissance dropped, musician Khalees took to Instagram to vent about not being informed that Beyonce mm -hmm. was sampling one of Khalees' songs in the new Renaissance song, Energy. Now, this story is actually way more complicated than Diane's. So in the work that Beyonce did, the sample credit goes to Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo because they have the original writing credit on the song in question. Khalees mm. only holds a performance credit on the song, which means legally Beyonce was likely not obligated to inform Khalees about her use of the song because of how song crediting works. It's about writers, not necessarily performers. But as Khalees says on Instagram, she saw it as disrespectful not to contact her. 
And so even though Khalees did not appreciate the way that Beyonce handled the situation, Khalees did also repeatedly say that it wasn't about Beyonce. It was more about the music industry in general. The reality is, okay, is that my real beef is not only with Beyonce, because at the end of the day, she sampled a record, she's copied me before, she's done it before, so have many other artists, it's fine, I don't care about that. The issue is, is that not only do, are we female artists, okay? Khalees goes on to explain something that a lot of us sort of know, which is that the music industry really takes advantage of young talent, especially back in those days. And so many artists, particularly women of color, don't receive the credit that they deserve for the work that they've made. Mm -hmm. So after all of this drama, on Wednesday, Beyonce updated the album so that it no longer features a sample from the Khalees song in question. She also updated the lyrics on the track Heated, which used an ableist slur. And while she shouldn't have used it to begin with, I, I do personally think it's great to see people like her following Lizzo's example by being so willing to remove slurs in their music like that. I think it really kind of demonstrates a willingness to respond to criticism. We were talking about this before the recording, but you mentioned that this kind of updating post-album release really isn't new. It's just playing out in front of a much larger audience because of the way the internet works. Yeah, I mean, it is something that's gone on not just in music, but in the entertainment industry for a while, right? I think the first example a lot of people probably think of is like George Lucas and Star Wars. But, you know, Disney did the same thing when they were moving from like video cassettes to DVDs of sometimes just deciding to not put out certain things or put out tweaked versions of things to remove racist things. So, you know, our media kind of updating itself is not terribly new. We just haven't been watching it in real time the way that Kanye got us watching them do it in real time a couple years ago. Will Wolves ever be finished? Don't know. <laughs> I don't think it will be. <laughs> Uh, well, I think that is all the Beyonce news we have for now, though, of course, the Beyonce podcast is forthcoming and we will <laughs> never stop talking about this album until she puts out a new album. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be discussing restocking videos and a Twitter user who works at Lockheed Martin. Now that's how you balance a commercial. Hi, y'all. This is your first time listening to the show. Welcome. We are so happy to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays, so make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays where I interviewed the director of the new film, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. It's a really great interview. You don't want to miss it. And we're back in our kitchens, filling our fridges and cupboards with stuff. <laughs> Just any kind of stuff. Our next question comes from Linda. She writes, what is the deal with the restocking videos? I get totally sucked into them. Are they ASMR or just an ad for the container store? My daughter threatened to hide my phone if I don't stop watching them. <laughs> help a mom out. Respect, Linda. We are happy to help you with this one. <laughs> Who among us hasn't been mesmerized by an extremely satisfying restocking? The videos she's talking about here are usually people refilling their fridge or cupboard with food and drinks in a beautifully organized way. They're definitely meant to ping that ASMR satisfaction center because sometimes nothing feels better than putting every single thing in its place. Yes, yes. And they all have that super satisfying click sound of the containers closing because yes. they all have so many containers <laughs> from like the container store. And while the ones I've seen aren't usually selling specific products, 
They are, I would say, in the vein of another version of this video we shared in a previous mailbag, which includes a woman unpacking all her household gadgets. I also feel like it's extra comforting right now, given all the supply chain issues we've had these last couple of years. I mean, in my (laughs) lifetime, I've never had as many times as I have, you know, recently where I've walked into stores and just seen truly bare shelves and things like that. Mm -hmm. So... I feel like, yeah, after a after a few unsuccessful trips to the grocery store uh, in the pandemic times, like the idea of going home and watching a restocking video and thinking like, ah, yes, this is how it should be is like very comforting. Yes, yes. And as a current New York resident, I just marvel at the amount of space and also the economy of usage in these videos. Like this is the way I would like to organize my space. And I, I, I never will. I know that about myself. But yeah, I mean, Linda, I think as long as you're not blowing your savings at the container store, just go ahead and try to recreate that satisfying feeling. Like, just keep indulging, you know? I think we all need some soothing, smooth brain content. All right, so now it's time for our final question. And so many people wrote in about it, including Rebecca, Maddie, and Camille, who all asked a variation of the question. What's the deal with Anna Martel? All right, we're going to explain this in the briefest way possible. Anna Martel is a trans YA writer and an activist. And if you spend too much time on Twitter, you probably remember him from a July tweet that went megavi in the absolute worst way. This tweet reads, there's a thread going around mocking writers who don't, quote, read very much. And I'm trying not to haul out my soapbox, but this is ableist. Not everyone can read for pleasure, and some of those people are writers. This sparked so much discourse. So much discourse. I logged on, Ooh. and I saw everyone talking about reading, and I was like, what is happening? Why are, why are the girls fighting? And then I found out. So this, this tweet becomes a whole discourse, several days' worth of discourse. Many people started dunking on him. If you logged into Twitter in late July and saw any tweets about reading, they were probably subtweets about this, which brings me to my favorite genre of Twitter discourse, where you unintentionally wade into discourse because you like the tweet that just made sense, and then you find out it's a subtweet, and you're like, oh, God, the people are coming for me. <laughs> there are some evergreen tweets that will get you in trouble. Anyway, things take a turn here. It's not just discourse. It becomes... Well, it is just discourse, but it becomes a bigger discourse. (laughs) On July 31st, it was revealed that Martel has worked for defense contractor Lockheed Martin for 15 years. And you might be asking, why does any of this matter? And the answer really is it doesn't. Like, I cannot describe to you how much this really does not matter in the grand scheme of things. But (laughs) there's anything people on Twitter love, it's hypocrisy. Because we're all hypocrites and we all love calling other people out for it. So everybody who knew of Martel before this news broke was shocked because that telling writers to read his ableist tweet is pretty, I would say, representative of Martel's whole shtick. He's developed a reputation for being vocal, some might say scoldy, about disability and trans politics, which is pretty rich when you find out that person who may have gotten you dogpiled is working for America's war machine. I agree with you. Like, these things should not have come into play together, but also, like, with the reality that we all live in. Like, I get why this got under people's skin. It just, but it became so big. If you search Lockheed Martin on Twitter right now, you will find some incredible tweets like this one from at punished underscore Kate, which reads, LMFAO. I'm sorry, 
Anna Mardo has worked at Lockheed Martin for 15 years as a legacy hire, a nepotism gig at the war crimes factory, and people are calling it ableist to criticize that? Is my CO detector working? Nepotism gig at the war crimes factory will live in my head rent-free for the next 15 years. That is one of those sentences that, yes, if you showed it to our younger versions of us 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. we'd be like, this is nonsense and I have no idea what's going on. But you say it now and I'm like, I understand the context of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So Martel tries to explain himself. He says, I got this particular job because my family works for the same corporation. I stay because I'm on an unusual part-time arrangement for medical reasons. It's hard to find a remote work-from-home job that will give me medical insurance, but let me work 10 to 20 hours a week. This is fair. Those things are very true. Yeah. Disabled and trans Americans are really at a disadvantage and often struggle with medical coverage and sustaining consistent employment. But you know who is also at a disadvantage? Disabled and trans people in the global south who have been killed or harmed by weapons produced by Lockheed Martin. <laughs> See, yep. mm, also true. Also true. I'm going to go ahead and say still true. Mm-hmm. And I think what really got under people's skin, besides the whole, how dare you scold me for something I said on Twitter when you're working at the war crimes factory, is that Martel has been accused of crowdfunding to pay for their mortgage, for pet bills, for DoorDash money, while also being employed by the world's largest defense contractor. Importantly, not everybody is on the opposing side. A lot of Mardell's followers left to his defense, including a Twitter user by the handle of a dubious pronoun who posted a thread sharing that they also worked at Lockheed Martin, which does make me bad a single eye. And they say it's really easy to judge people's choices when we don't know what led to making them. Like maybe Anna didn't need to work at Lockheed, but maybe this was also the only way for him to get the medical coverage he needed. But also the thing is, Lockheed Martin is a uniquely terrible corporation that is directly implicated in violence and death the world over. Here's what it makes me think of. It reminds me of the show The Good Place. Like, the reality of being alive right now is that if somebody looked at all of the things you did on paper, they could make a lot of connections from Mm -hmm. jobs you had and things you did and make a lot of assumptions. It is highly plausible that the healthcare benefits and the schedule are, like, so good and strong for this person. And I say this as someone who also lives with, like, chronic illness and things like that. But it is so tricky because, like, you just really don't always have a great option. Like, it's just really hard to actually kind of live the life, even if you're out there, like, trying to help make the world, like, a better, more inclusive place. I think it can be really hard to actually get through your day-to-day in an unimpeachable way. I will say that the real nugget here, like, the cherry on the top of this shit Sunday, is... (laughs) The reason this information came out is because Kiwi Farms, which is an online forum that is very similar to 4chan and is aggressively, violently anti-trans and takes pleasure in doxing trans people, is where this information about Anna came from. So the way this information came out is not good. As at dubious pronoun put it, Kiwi Farms did not do this because Anna Martel had a bad take about ableism in reading. Kiwi Farms did this because they like to harass trans people. And it worked. Anna posted on August 2nd that he'd be leaving Twitter. So n- none of this feels good. I don't like no. this discourse at all. It Everything is bad. Good. Yes. I hate every single part of that. <sighs> the funny tweets weren't even worth The phrase nepotism gig at the war factory is not worth this. Yeah. <laughs> at first, this story 
when I first came across it on my TL, just felt like a kind of slam dunk on a person who's been taking advantage of their audience and misrepresenting themselves. It turned out that like most things on Twitter, it is much worse than that. It is a much grimmer story about transphobia, ableism, the military industrial complex, and the way our country's healthcare system is so broken that a lot of people feel like they can't have morals when it comes to employment because you have to have healthcare. Sadly so true. (laughs) (laughs) This ultimately has only led me to affirm my belief that Twitter is ultimately bad for activism. Yeah, Twitter is the place where nuance goes to die. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. Tell your cancel mob about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICOR underscore pod, which is also going to be a your questions, and they might end up on an episode. Please keep them coming. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. I'm the senior supervising producer, Daisy Rosario, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's extra nifty VP of audio. See you online. Or at the Container Store. And though she doesn't appreciate how Beyonce, Beyonce, and though she doesn't appreciate how Beyonce, Beyonce, I still said Beyonce. (laughs) 